listener production. Take it away, my dulcet-toned Adonis. <laughs> Hello, Gistners. Welcome back for another episode of Just the Gist, a weekly-ish podcast in which Rosie Waterland and I, Jacob Stanley, give you just the gist of what you need to know about a story we think you'll find interesting enough to discuss at a dinner party. You almost made it through without taking a breath. You got through to, like, the last two words. You went, to dis- no, you went, oh, interesting enough to... to- <laughs> Discuss at a dinner party. You were so close. I was watching you like, is he going to make it? That's a new challenge for me. Yeah. I do have quite big lungs. You do. All that swimming. Mm. Mm. Okay, I'll attempt it next go. Yeah, next go. That mm. was good though. You remembered it. That was smooth. Yes, yes. Sometimes yeah. it just flows. You know what I just noticed? Your shirt says Jackaroo and mm. that is like just really funny to me. <laughs> I got it in an op shop in Tamworth. Is there anyone which probably less of a jackaroo than you? <laughs> <laughs> I've gone for a real farmer aesthetic today. Is that an actual brand, jackaroo? Apparently. It's not you, Mm-mm. but it's a nice shirt. Thanks. Nice flanny. Yeah, great op shop find. I can't believe you went to Tamworth and didn't get the Rona. I know. Everyone else Everyone did. got it. Yes. Our theory is that I'm just too tall. So yeah. my head and shoulders <laughs> above the crowd is what's been protecting me. <laughs> yeah. Safe. We're still dodging it like ninjas. Yaha. All our friends got it. I and know. Yeah, we're somehow. I mean, touch wood, touch, touch wood, wood, we're touch going wood. to Perth toy, toy, toy. in a couple of days. Oh, my God. Imagine. No, I won't even say Don't it. Don't put it out there. Perth has just been waiting far too long. Years, mm-hmm. years mm. at this point. We're we're coming, Perth. We're coming. Mm-hmm. We're in the studio right now. I promise you I'll leave here. I'll go home. I won't open the door <laughs> until I leave to get on the plane on Friday and then the show Saturday night. Mm-hmm. It would take a lot to get in our way. We are yeah. so excited to be coming over there. We are coming, Perth. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to do some <clears throat> breaking news? Oh, please. I've got quite a bit today because mm. um, um. Last week it was like quite a long story. Oh my god, people flipped over Sherry Papini. It was incredible. <laughs> like the twists, the turns. The twists, the turns. Yeah. Um, oh. And then afterwards, I think because everyone went and read about it, I was just getting so many messages from people all I week, bet. like mm. obsessing over her. Um, oh, and someone told me what the tattoo is. Oh yeah. See, I don't know if because all the po- a lot of the podcasts I listened to were with like lawyers. Mm. And so I'm worried that, like, they're not saying it because they're not meant to or something. But uh-huh. she's been charged now, so it's not like I can ruin anything. Mm. What is it, a trademark or something? It's a word mm. that definitely fits in with her leaving her wedding song on repeat, I'm leaving my husband in the wind, gone girl theme. Mm. The Should I say? Yeah. It said Exodus. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, that's what someone messaged and told me that she lives in their hometown, and um, that's what it said. And she also said that um, a lot of people in the town didn't believe it from the second she was gone because she's a nutter. Yeah. Mm. Oh, it sounds like she had a reputation. Yeah. Oh. Exodus. Why would someone that, brand her with Exodus though? It reminds me. Well, no, because she's an idiot. Like it reminds me of when Ben Affleck got the big. Um, Phoenix on his back when he like oh. got free of his marriage mm. to Jennifer Garner, and like that was her being like, "I'm free, Exodus." Fool. And then two weeks later, being like, "I hate it here. I'm going." 
<laughs> anyway, so um, I didn't do a lot of breaking news last week because I knew that was going to mm. be a long episode. So I've got a little bit more this week. So mm-hmm. here we go. Breaking news, breaking news. I got the scoop. I see extra, extra. Read all about it. Breaking news. It's coming down the wire. You guys don't know how awkward it is to sit here in a room, just me and Jacob, and he stares at me. <laughs> The whole time I'm doing that, like, just stares at me. And he can't say anything, like, because of the noise. It's uh, very awkward. At least I smile now because you told me a while ago that I used to just yeah, blankly stare at you. Yeah, do your resting bitch face <laughs> and I'd be like, oh, God. <laughs> okay, here we go. The biggest breaking news of the week possibly ever of mm-hmm. just the GIF's entire life so far. This is a, the update we've been waiting for. I'm sure you all already know. <laughs> we finally have an update on the man with the penis on his arm. Yes. Oh, my God. People have, we've been waiting for. For yeah. Okay, so I asked Lindsay to go back through and find when we first talked about it because mm. I was like, it. I can't even remember now, but we've been wondering what happened to him for years. It's in our Just the Gist song that we sing at all our shows, Mm -hmm. a reference to him. And so Lindsay went back and found it and it was in 2019 that we talked about it. 2020. 2020 that we talked about Mm -hmm. it. I can't even. August 2020, yeah, nearly two years. That's like two years years ago. Um, Okay, so if you don't know what I'm talking about, I can't even, are you even a fan (laughs) of the show? But um, we're going to play you a little clip now of um, the story of, at the time, had just broken in the news and it was a very cagey, like, story. There wasn't a lot about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was this man who we now know is Malcolm McDonald and he had a penis on his arm and here is when I was first telling Jacob about it in Breaking News. I read this in the Daily Mail, of course. Of course. Because I read it so none of you have to and also because I love it. <laughs> but um, there is a man in England who um, (laughs) had a blood disorder Uh and, no, a blood infection down around his private area. Mm. And because of this blood infection, and I've warned you, skip ahead, it's too late, because of this blood infection, his penis turned black and fell Mm. off. Mm. (laughs) Kind of like, I guess. And apparently when it fell off, he just threw it in the bin. So the nerves and everything had died, like... He didn't even really feel it. Like the medics came and he was like, oh, I just chucked it. I think it's kind of like when a, um, you know, when they do that thing to cut off lamb's tails, like they put the really tight thing around it. And <laughs> cut then off it the circulation. Off. And, yes. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure that's what happened, right? And so oh. he said that, um, and okay, can I just say we're allowed to laugh at this story because he laughs and he says it's funny, like, he, he's very open about the fact that the whole thing's very funny and bizarre. So just saying that right now. Well, yeah, the punchline's already there. Like, if you're going to ask Santa oh, for no, a black no, dick for not. Christmas, be careful what you wish for. Okay, keep going. <laughs> that was good, but also... The part, you don't even know okay. what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> so, not in your wildest dreams can you predict what's coming next. Mm. So... He said for a couple of years he was really depressed. He felt like a shell of a man. He started drinking a lot. He just kind of uh, became a recluse until um, his doctor connected him with, like, this really famous um, 
a professor who's an expert in phallus construction. So, like, they <laughs> reconstruct <laughs> you penis, right? Mm. Um, and so he went to this guy um, back in 2016 mm. and they basically, like, take skin grafts. So I think they take skin from, like, where you've got a lot, like your thigh or whatever, and they, um, you know, literally put in, like, little arteries and it's amazing what they can do. Like, mm. they completely construct a new penis, right? Yeah. But here's the thing. Because they need time for everything to, like, connect, so, like, they need, you know, the blood needs to start flowing through and the arteries need to start working and you need time for nerve endings to grow and all that kind of stuff. You can't attach it uh, straight away down there because he was damaged down there. Mm. So they needed to uh, sort of, I guess, grow it, like grow all all of it to make it work for two years. Mm. So (laughs) for two years he had a penis attached to his arm. <laughs> like literally so like and I, they don't show pictures in the story but they have a diagram like an animated diagram so if you yeah. like hold your arm out in front of you yeah it's just dangling down off his off forearm arm. yes off his forearm like at a right angle oh like just dangling in the wind so <laughs> me telling Jacob this weird story about the man with the penis on his arm that um, basically the reason it was in the news is because he had, uh, once the penis was fully grown, he was meant to get it taken, removed from his arm and Mm. attached in between his legs. But then COVID happened and a bunch of other stuff happened and it just wasn't considered, they're like, well, the penis is fine, just dangling there on your arm, Mm. so you've got to wait. So he basically (laughs) just got put on the waiting list to get an elective surgery. Mm. And we have had more requests for an update on this story than I think any other story we've ever done. Uh People always say to us, what's happening with penis arm guy? What's happening with penis arm guy? And I'm like, don't you think I have a news alert? (laughs) Like, I will tell you when I know. Mm. And in the last week, we finally found out. (sighs) So I will say about 5,000. Thousand people messaged me on Instagram, mm. but one woman, Liz Walsh, one, she was the first. <laughs> I was sitting there on the couch working, checked my Instagram, and she had messaged and with a link to the article, and I started screaming <laughs> in my living room by myself. And then about 5,000 more people sent me the article. People have been sending it to me like three days later. I'm like, please. (laughs) (laughs) I think Liz sent that to me within 30 seconds of that going up. Yeah, you beat the the Google alert, Liz. Yeah. No, I did. I I found out before I got the Google alert sent Mm. to me. Um, So basically... He's had it re- like attached in between his legs now. Finally, yeah. it ended up being six years oh. of waiting. Um, and like I said, his name is Malcolm McDonald. Um, it was a nine-hour operation. Mm. He said, the first thing I did was look down and I was like, oh, my days, they got it right this time. <laughs> <laughs> He's really funny. Oh, my days. Um, he said <laughs> one of the most... Um, Embarrassing parts of the six years was when an old lady in a supermarket asked him to get an item off a top shelf, but the dick came loose from his sleeve and started dangling while he reached up (laughs) (laughs) for this little old lady. And then this is, I can't even, with this quote here, so he says, six years with a cock on me arm. (laughs) 
It's something to tell the grandchildren, isn't it? <laughs> so um, he says, my, li- my luck in life hasn't been too good so far, but it can only go bad for so long, can't it? Can you imagine six years of your life with a penis swinging on your arm? It's been a nightmare, but it's gone now, the little bugger. So all of these are quotes from a new documentary. Stop. Yes. No. This is why it's been in the news. And I've tried to get it. I can't, I, I haven't found it. He mm-hmm. it literally aired in Britain last night on Channel 4 uh-huh. in Britain. It's called The Man with the Penis on His Arm. <laughs> it's literally called The, the Man with the Penis on His Arm <laughs> because that is literally what the documentary is. Mm-hmm. Um, I, co- I haven't found it to watch it yet, um, but uh, I've read a bunch of reviews of it. Mm-hmm. And I'll put a link into the Guardian review of it, which is actually quite comprehensive. And they say that um, even though, like, uh, Malcolm himself is very funny and makes a lot of jokes about it. And, you know, they do treat it with some levity. Um, it is actually quite a moving documentary about what he's been through. And mm-hmm. appa- they don't go into a lot of detail but um, uh, in the documentary, but apparently the reason it took a lot longer, it's, you know, COVID would have only delayed it by two years. The reason it took six years is because he has a lot of issues with addiction and mm. would miss appointments and would not, like... So basically the reason it finally got attached between his legs is because the doctor gave him one last chance to, like, do the work he needed to put into. Right, get his act together. Yes. Um, And so, yeah, he finally got it put between his legs and it seems like everybody now suddenly knows this story. And I was like, Adoy, we were talking about it two years ago. Mm -hmm. But it's blown up. And I'd say the, because the story went viral yesterday or the day before, whenever it was, um, that documentary will definitely air on Australian television because everyone oh. wants to watch it. Yes. Everyone wants to watch I'm it. I'm dying to see this. I'm dying to hear his voice. Yeah, me too. I just like, when he said I've got a cock on my arm, I imagined him quite like Liverpoolian. Mm. But I, I, I don't know. I just assumed. I can't wait to see. I'm really happy for him. Yeah, finally. The sausage is back in the lunchbox. Years. And like, because back when we did the, when we talked about it, I think he had done the story because he had gone to the press because he was sick of like Mm. waiting. So he was trying to nudge it along. Uh, Um, Yeah, so. Some publicity. Oh. I'm I'm really excited. The man with the penis on his arm. I'm sure it'll be on TV soon, and if not, I'm just going to find it because I can't wait to watch it. I'm I'm looking for it this afternoon. (sighs) What an update. I'm thrilled. Me too. And you can't spell happiness without (laughs) P-E-N-I-S. Truly a Just the Gist icon Mm -hmm. who we have all had in our thoughts for the last two years. Mm -hmm. So good to know. And um, uh, it doesn't, it, it can't do, you know get erect yet mm. because the next step in the uh, process is having like a pump inserted into it that he can then pump it up. Ah, uh, right, right, right. Or sexy mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. But I'm like really fascinated with the mechanics of it all and they talk to, you know, the surgeons and stuff in it. So I really want to know how it all. Oh, it's mind-blowing. It's, it's so cool. What the geniuses can that can come up with. That sort of stuff. It's amazing. Yes. People are far more capable than I will ever be in it's so amazing. many ways. And, I mean, I guess I imagine I am not, like, up with the information on how that kind of surgery would work for trans men who want to get penises. I assume mm. it would be quite similar, wouldn't it? 
that they would essentially build you a penis and then... You wear it on your arm for a few years? And then you attach it? Like, I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. See, I really want to... I'm fascinated by that. It's mm. so cool what we can do. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... Thanks for the update. Oh, and thanks to everyone who messaged Jim to let us know. What an update. It was truly... I was screaming in my living room, mm. like screaming. Um. So, Muhammad, mm. you know how whenever he's home alone, he always calls me and asks me to Uber Eats in McDonald's? Yes. So I did last week. He called me and I was really busy. I think it was like right when I was finishing off my notes for Sherry Papini. So it was like a week ago. And um, <laughs> I ordered it and I always mix up whether their house is number 35 or number 45. Mm. And so I just ordered it, didn't even think of it. And then we recorded the whole episode. So I think it was like 5.30 that afternoon. I'd talk to him at like midday. Mm. And Rhiannon calls me at like 5 o'clock and she goes, oh, I think Muhammad's trying to scam some more McDonald's out of you. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, he just <laughs> called me. He said he's still waiting. And I said, it's been five hours. And mm. she goes, well, he's still waiting. And I said, well, why hasn't he called me? She's like, I don't know. And then I realised like he probably had tried to, but we turn mm. our phones off when we're in here. And... um. And she's like, well, he's saying that he never got it. And so I said, hold on, let me go into Uber Eats and check. And I was like, yeah, it's here. They've taken a photo. It's sitting there on the front porch. And she's like, and I said, oh, wait, do you live in number 35 or number 45? Mm-hmm. And she goes, number, um, let's see, I can't even remember now. I don't even know which one. So anyway, Muhammad, though, call, I call Muhammad and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I sent it to the wrong house. I sent it to the one just down the thing, go to number 45. See if it's still there. I said, they might not be home from work. Like, if it's mm. still on the front porch, you just put it in the microwave. He, he says he hasn't eaten. Liar. He's like, I'm starving. <laughs> Wasting away. So anyway, he runs down there and he's like, no, it's not there. And he goes, but I can see people inside. And so I'm on the phone and he goes, I'm knocking on the door. No, no. <laughs> Because I'm knocking on the door and he knocks on the door and I heard this woman answer. She's like, hi. And he goes, do you have my McDonald's? <laughs> She goes, what? He goes, my McDonald's, it got delivered here. And she goes, oh, yeah, that got delivered here like hours ago. So I think it was like 12 o'clock. And he was like, yeah, uh, the Uber driver uh, sent it to the wrong house. And she goes, yeah, the Uber driver like said this was the address. He mm. couldn't find any other address. And Muhammad goes, so do you still have it? And she goes, no, um... Um, and I'm sitting there on the line going, oh, my God, she ate it. Like, they ate it. They course. ate it. And how much is that your worst nightmare, something getting delivered to you by accident and then someone coming and demanding to know? Especially a nine-year-old. A nine-year-old. And, so, and then I could hear his voice. She's like, no, sorry, we don't have it. And he went, oh. Oh. And then he went, Okay. She was like, sorry. <laughs> and then he just like turned around and he goes to me on the phone, they don't have it. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe he literally went and knocked on a stranger's door and demanded his He's McDonald's. Such a little shit stirrer. Five hours ago. Oh. I was like too scared to say hello to people when I was nine. He's fearless. He's fearless. He will say anything to anyone. I can't believe it. Like, where's my McDonald's? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the kid is an absolute scream. So then I ordered him another lot because I felt bad. Mm, well, you had to. Yeah. yeah. And that was pretty brave. <laughs> brave or rude? I can't decide going down and asking It can be both. I mean, I'm fairly certain they ate it because of course. the Uber driver left a photo and obviously he'd said to them, look, 
if you guys didn't order it, this is the address I've got, so mm. there you go. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure they ate it. <laughs> and then you had this little nine-year-old kid going, oh, where's my McDonald's? <laughs> Imagine if those people are gisners and they're hearing this right now with their hands over their mouths in shock. I'm dying. I'm dying. Okay, next bit. You know, cash me outside, how about that, Mm -hmm. girl? So we've kept up to date on her over the years. Um, The last bit of breaking news about her was I think at a live show a while ago I mentioned that, um, oh, well, it must have been a year ago because this news is um, uh, after a year. So... Her first 24 hours on OnlyFans, she made a million dollars. It was announced last week that she's one of OnlyFans' top earners. In 12 months, she made $42 million. (gasps) Yeah. Girl is loaded. Oh, man. Girl is loaded. Wow. Good on her. $42 million. That's outrageous. Do you know how many people are subscribing? To get that sort of money? uh, This is just the gist. I don't know. uh I don't know. I mean, it'd have to be a lot. Mm. She'd be one of their top earners for sure, for sure. I just like, I'm like, I so admire people who use OnlyFans like as a way, like as a way to sort of, you know, it's entrepreneurship really. Mm. And if you're willing, like, and you only have to go as far as you're willing to go, like, there's no rule that says you have to, you know, do anything sexual. Some people mm. have OnlyFans just to, like, show their feet, you know? Like, <laughs> I don't know what, like, but I just keep thinking, man, 42 million bucks, like, and people are, there is someone out there who is interested in anything, you know what I mean? People mm. are interested in anything and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and I'm like, fuck, what would I be willing to do? Like, no, for real, on mm. an OnlyFans. Yeah. Like, I would, t- I have no problem setting one up, like, but I'm like, what would I do? I don't think I'd feel comfortable doing sexual stuff. Mm. I mean, no judgment on people who are, but I mean, if I was setting my own boundaries, like, you know, I'd probably like put some cleavage shots on there. Mm-hmm. I don't know. There's people have weird things. People want to see me eating. You know what I mean? Like, people <gasps> always want to see like chubby girls eating. Oh. That's a weird sex thing. Uh huh. I'd eat. I'm eating anyway. <laughs> I'll set the camera up. <laughs> like, I just. If there's $42 million on the table. Yeah. Hey, this is a viable business now for for people. Like, I wonder what she does. Yeah. I wonder what she does. How far she goes. A lot of people only just, they really only do pictures. Mm. So then you are totally in control of that. And then, like, some some people will do live video sessions. So Mm -hmm. you can, like, drop in and watch them. I don't know. Get undressed in their room or have a flick. I don't even know really. But, um, I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. So, I mean, maybe I'd be like Liz Lemon. What's that thing where she says if she was a sex worker, she'd be like, here's the list, $100 to hold hands, $200 to hug, end of list. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably me. But, I mean, there's people have a lot of weird things they're into. And if you, like, tapped into some weird niche that doesn't bother you at all to do it, let it fly. I mm. wonder how much money my feet could get. I bet you could just put up photos of, your, of being tanned. I bet there's just a fetish of great tans. Mm. You're putting photos on Instagram anyway. I'll look into it. Hey, guys, we might quit this podcast in two weeks. And <laughs> if we do, you know where we've gone. 
Just the jizz on OnlyFans. <laughs> Jacob's just tan videos of him tanning himself and videos of me eating watching TV. <laughs> Gotta be someone who'll pay to watch me we'll do make that. A fortune. Yeah. Absolute squillion. I'm so pale at the moment. I'm really upset that we're recording our live show, our oh, dance pale. number in pay, in Perth this week and I'm the palest I've been in so long. This bloody La Nina. I did actually even comment that you looked paler than usual. That being said, you were still like 25 shades above me mm-hmm. <laughs> on the scale. On the scale of me to like, which is the one with all the melanin? Is that when you have black skin or? Yeah, black yeah. skin's got all the melanin. So mm-hmm. if it's my skin on the scale, on the melanin scale. Towards the albino end of it. And you're, toward, you're, you're getting, you're mm-hmm. going that way. Yeah. You're 25 steps above me. Yeah, but we're closer than we've been in a while. Mm. Not really. <laughs> Not really, darling. Not really at all. Um, oh, we've been talking for a while, so I guess that can be all our breaking news. Oh, no, wait, one more. Okay. So um, you asked me before if I was going to read the Palace Papers and I was like, lol, already read it. <laughs> um, it's the new book by Tina Brown about just the royal family. Mm. Um, and it's really, really good. Highly reco. I listened to it. Um, I think it's about 18 hours. Um, and, you know, it gives you like a pretty good summary of just like the Queen's life through to about, you know, Charles and Diana. Mm-hmm. Um, but not like so in depth that it's overwhelming. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of goes into all the modern royal stuff. So she talks a lot about all the stuff with Prince Andrew. Mm-hmm. She talks a lot about all the stuff with Meghan and Harry and just you know, it's gossipy. She was the editor of Tatler, which is a royal kind of gossip magazine and Vanity Fair for a while. So, I mean, they say that of all the people who write these kinds of books, she is probably to be the most believed, respected, Mm. legit of them, Mm -hmm. of the people. Um, It's a really really good book. It's juicy. Mm -hmm. It's juicy as. But the one bit of breaking news I want to give you from the book is when she talks about Prince Andrew... She goes a lot into how just terrible he is and how Mm. buffoonish he is and how he is the absolute epitome of a man who thinks he can do more than he actually can, who thinks he's smarter than he can, who has 100% confidence but, like, 0% competence. Mm -hmm. And And she goes into it by saying that some people even say that he is quite an obvious case of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Have you heard of this? Oh, yes, I have. Yes, Mm. this is something I've never heard of. This is basically the psychological name for I can do the Adele interview. Mm -hmm. So people think that if he, you know, like psychologists have said they would diagnose him with the Dunning-Kruger effect, Mm. Prince Andrew, and I'll read it to you. It's um, in psychology, a cognitive bias whereby people with limited knowledge or competence in a given intellectual or social domain greatly overestimate Mm. their own knowledge or competence in that domain relative to objective criteria or to the performance of their peers or of people in general. Mm -hmm. So it's basically thinking you can do the analogy. It's got an actual name, the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah, unconscious incompetence. Yes. Yeah, they don't know how little they don't know. They don't know how little they don't know and psychologists think that Prince Andrew has it because I think in the book they go a lot into his life like before, you know, all the Jeffrey Epstein sex scandal stuff 
And he has for a long time just like would be put in these jobs in Britain, like he was trade ambassador for a while and something else. And he like had a reputation amongst like, you know, delegates and um, ambassadors and politicians of just being like the stupidest person. (laughs) And you would have to endure these meetings with him telling Mm. you his dumb ideas because he's the Queen's son and, Mm -hmm. you know, like... Uh Gotta be polite. So apparent, and that goes a long way towards explaining why he thought he could do that interview. Yeah, where he totally let he thought I will do this interview with a brilliant trained journalist Mm. who knows what the hell she's doing. Oh yeah, I can sit down with her and outsmart her and charm the whole country and everything (laughs) will blow over. This will be fine. And then he sat down in that interview and said he's not guilty because he can't sweat. (laughs) So. That is the Dunning-Kruger effect. And I went down He's a rabbit hole for it. reading about it after they mentioned it in this book, The Palace Papers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. The dumber someone is, the smarter they think they are. Exactly, yeah. right? Yeah, and it gives them that false sense of confidence. I knew you would know what this was because you always know cool psychological things like that. Mm. And yeah. then, you know, it's kind of a sign of intelligence to assume, you know, that you actually don't know very much and well, to be aware of what you aren't competent at. Yeah, like they say the opposite of it is imposter syndrome yeah. and it's actually like quite um, this weird dico- dichotomy or irony, I guess, where people who are incredibly intelligent and competent often have the opposite yep. where they like they underestimate themselves yeah. Yeah. like i but then see i had a joke in one of my stand up shows where i was like oh my god like i'm the biggest i have the worst imposter syndrome i never think i'm that great but then at the same time i have such bad imposter syndrome that i think i can't even get imposter syndrome because i'm like if you think you're good enough to get imposter syndrome then obviously <laughs> You can't get it, like so. You can't really win. Do you know? Anyway, yeah, yes. <laughs> then I just fall. My brain starts folding in on itself. Mm. But um, yeah, so interesting. I'm really tempted to listen to this book. It's I've really never good. Had interest in the royals, mm. but listening to an interview with Tina Brown mm. actually made me intrigued to sort of get on board. Yeah, and hearing you talk about it just now, yeah, I think I'm. She's good. I mean, she is really the one who knows her stuff on this. Like, I'm always interested in the royals because, in a cheesy way, mm-hmm. like I'm I'm interested in them in the way you read about celebrities or whatever. Um, I don't like admire the monarchy like Caleb does with his 1953 coronation teapots or whatever that he has in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, tell me who's having sex with who. What are the scandals? Mm-hmm. Um, but she, Tina Brown, is kind of considered like if you are going to read a salacious book or whatever about the royals, hers would be the most legitimate, mm. the most, you know, accurate one you could you could get, as close to accurate as mm-hmm. you can get. It's on my list. I'll it's you know very good. Right it's mm. very, very good. Um, and I guess that's breaking news. Doodle-a-doo-doo-doo. Doodle-a-doo-doo-doo. Oh, except we will just mention that we've got Perth coming up oh, this yeah. Saturday. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, we are going to make it come hell or high water. Yeah, and um, because COVID restrictions literally lifted a week ago, they've now opened up all these new seats that mm-hmm. they weren't allowed to have. So get them. Yeah, the Astor's up to full capacity. So if you mm. thought you were going to miss out, get on board with those last-minute ticks that have just been released. And then next week we've got my hometown, Gosford. Gossy! Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Who put up a sign out the 
front, welcoming home there. The prodigal son returns. <laughs> Gosford's gift. Jacob Stanley is coming back with his show, Just a Gist. <laughs> They're so proud of you. <sighs> they are beside themselves so with excitement proud to welcome of you. a hometown hero <laughs> into their venue. At um, what's it called now? The Fisherman's Wharf, but you said Drifters it, Wharf. Drifters Wharf, but, but you said it was Iguana Joe's. It was Iguana Joe's. It will always be Iguana Joe's. Right. Yes. So old school locals come along there. I think we've got a handful of tickets left for that, and then the following weekend we're in Sydney, and then the week after that we're up in the Sunshine Coast, Sunshine and then Gold. Coast. And Gold Coast. Sunshine yes. Coast and Gold Coast. Yeah. Oh, the Gold Coast one should be like loose and, you know. Yeah, man. The Goldie. Mm-hmm. I think the last time I was there was when I went to Movie World when I was like 10. <laughs> to me, it's just Movie World. Are we performing at Movie World? No, but we can go visit Movie World during the day if you want. I want to go on a roller coaster. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Is that the one It's been a long time. Died? No, that was Dream World. Oh, okay. Yeah. We're safe then. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All righty. That was breaking news. Yay. Do, 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 do. By the way, I finally started watching Class Action Park a little while ago. I couldn't watch it. It made me too anxious. Really? Yeah. It I was... mean, you know, that kid at the Easter show came very close a few weeks ago, remember? No. Yeah, so at the Easter show in Sydney, um, a, a ride that, like, goes up and drops down or whatever um, the ride started rising up and everyone started screaming because they oh, hadn't he wasn't put the kids in. He hadn't strapped this yes, kid in who was like five this. years old. Oh, and then oh. like the kids running the rides who were just bloody, you know, 16 and it's a holiday job, they didn't know what the hell to do. So then all these adults watching like ran over and had to reach up and pull this kid off. Uh. Oh. So, I mean, it's... Okay, maybe but then, we won't be going no, to Movie World. but places like Movie World are different because they're, like, modern and Properly the installed. rides aren't moving from town to town like the monorail guy in The Simpsons, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's all, it's legit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. Isn't it? Uh, I'll tell you who's never sponsoring us, theme parks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Class Action Park was dodgy. It was... The 80s, yeah. and it was like they just built things. Everyone's got to watch that. And it had me on edge. Oof. So you didn't even finish, didn't it. finish it. So you didn't get to the end where the owner started designing water slides himself, like with no, <clears throat> like, uh, thought for, you know, physics and aerodynamics. He, like, wanted to build this one that went around in this loop, and they um, built it and sent mannequins through it who came out, like, beheaded. <laughs> And stuff, and they were like, mm. and then they'd say to the kids who work there, "We'll pay you fifty bucks to test it." And like, yeah, it's so dangerous. Oh yeah, I'm glad I didn't get up to that part. You should much. watch the rest. Too much. Class Action Park is so good. I actually mm. feel like watching it again now. So <laughs> good. So different. Um. Okay. Okay. We ready? Let's do this. I'm ready. Okay. Hit me. This, my friend, is just the gist of the quote-unquote last Leonardo, the Salvatore Mundi. Is it a scam or don't tell me? Okay. Well, that's the big debate (laughs) and it's yet to be settled. Yeah. Art world people are so dumb. Uh Unless they're Stuart Semple. 
Agreed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll kick things off in Louisiana, of all places, mm-hmm. in 2005. A fella there got in touch with Christie's Auction House mm. and invited them to come check out his dad's art collection because the dad had died recently. Yeah. The son didn't care about paintings. He just wanted cash. And so a rep came out from Christie's and she picked out a few items that she thought might fetch a good price. Yeah. But she said no thanks to about 80% of the dad's art collection. One of the artworks in which she had zero interest was a very badly damaged and poorly restored painting of Jesus Christ. Yeah, that I was, was going to say, is, is this the one I've got it in my head? It just looks like Jesus. It's like a mm-hmm. mid mid shot of Jesus shot. <laughs> I don't know how to describe paintings. It's like a, a uh, portrait. Yeah, yeah, from the a shoulders front up on of Jesus. Portrait. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a conventional composition. The Salvatore Mundi. It means Savior of the World. Yeah. And it is a always white man. Yeah, it's a very white Jesus with the beachy like. Brown, like, luscious hair, Mm -hmm. yeah. And giving a blessing symbol with the right hand and holding a sphere in his left hand that represents the world. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very popular throughout the Renaissance. A lot of people commissioned that type of painting. Mm. Um, This one looked like it was garbage, so the woman from Christie's (laughs) had no interest in it whatsoever. Yeah. And so then a few weeks later, this very badly damaged painting went up for auction through a local small-time auction house in New Orleans. Yeah. Along with all the other stuff that Christie's dismissed Mm -hmm. and it sold for $1,175 to these two men from New York who'd seen the painting in a catalogue and thought it looked interesting enough for them to take a gamble on. That's still quite a lot to buy a shitty painting in a shitty little auction. Mm. I mean, like, because in Adelaide, Caleb Caleb and I used to go to Scammell's all the time. That's... Mm. Caleb's favourite Saturday activity to go to Scammell's auction house Mm. and you look at all the stuff and then you bid and, you know, like a a crappy painting there, like I'd get annoyed if Caleb would want to spend like more than, you know, a couple hundred dollars on something. Mm. Like that's quite a lot just for a crappy painting you see at a thing, but is it because they think it's worth more? Yes, they're what's called sleeper hunters. Ah. Yeah, their names are Alex and... Robert and they have day jobs, but yeah. then their side hustle is seeking out artworks that they think have been overlooked or undervalued. Mm. Sleepers, like in Porn Stars, that show. I haven't seen the show where the people work oh, at the from porn storage shop. spaces. Yeah, and then mm. people like go in and take. They like will buy random things on the off chance that it might be worth. Yeah, so you can buy low and then yeah. mark it up. Okay, if you can find the right buyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they won with that little bid of theirs and the painting was sent from Louisiana to New York in just a cardboard box. (laughs) And when it arrived, the new owners got to see firsthand that it was in really bad shape. The painting had been done on a piece of walnut wood and over the years that had warped and split and it had been patched up and clearly overpainted at least three, four times mm. and not particularly well either. Yeah. The person who restored it, it's a little bit like, remember that yeah, story yeah, about yeah. 10 years ago of a woman who tried to fix a fresco <laughs> yes. somewhere in Italy and <laughs> we should post that picture on our Instagram actually because it's that brings so me great. so much joy and laughter whenever yeah. I need it. She, by the way, now thinks she could be she should be getting a cut of the tourist dollars for people who go to she see probably that should. fresco. That is an example of the Dunning-Kruger effect. Yeah. <laughs> she really thought... <laughs> She could restore that painting. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Anyway, in the picture, when Mm. it arrived, Jesus looked completely stoned, like high as a kite in the image, the way that he'd been painted. 
Um, but there were some bits of detail in the hands and in the hair that made Alex and Robert think that the painting had some potential. Mm. And it was clearly from the 1500s. Also, oh, it was clearly. Yeah, they could tell old. it was old. Um, okay. And so they thought if they got it repaired by a professional, it maybe would get them $10,000 okay. or more. And so they took the painting to their art expert friends, Diane and Mario Modestini, to get their thoughts and also to ask Diane if she'd help out with restoring the painting for them. Yeah. Because she still is one of the most respected, most skilled art restoration experts in the world. Yeah. And Diane and Mario agreed, yep, the painting had potential. The style was sort of close to what Leonardo da Vinci's students were taught. Right. This sort of soft edge, hazy kind yeah. of look called sfumato. I mean, I feel like any painting from the 1500s would be worth something, yeah. right? Like mm. it's not like the art auction where Caleb and I on the TV got the turkeys. No, no. Like, this is like an actual thing from 1500 and something mm. have, will have some value to it. Yeah, but it was a total mystery as to who the artist was yeah. and that's what's going to have a big, big impact on the value yeah. of the image. Yeah. So Diane agreed she would restore the painting and in return she'd get a percentage of the profits mm-hmm. when they found a buyer. She essentially was taking a stake in the painting. Mm. Um Over the next few weeks, she took off all the coats of varnish and new paint that had been applied over the last couple of centuries and then she got to evaluate how bad the damage really was because the wood had literally splintered into pieces and then been put back together like a jigsaw puzzle. Okay. (laughs) And then they'd plastered over all the gaps with some sort of putty and then sanded that back to make it flat. So a lot of the original image was just completely destroyed, gone forever. Mm. Part of the face even looked like it had been removed with a wood planer, mm, which mm, sort mm. of made historical sense because for a while the church said that images of Jesus were blasphemous and literally oh. had to be defaced. So it was a wreck and clearly mm. it was going to be a really tough job for her to polish this turd up, yeah. but she was willing to take on the challenge. Yeah, She worked for up to eight hours a day on the painting wow. and the whole time she says she was thinking this was most likely a painting by one of Leonardo's students. students. But then one day, as she was restoring the mouth, which didn't even really exist, she was pretty much painting it from scratch. Yeah. But she started to realise that the lips looked strikingly similar to the lips on the Mona Lisa. And that is the first time that she says the thought (laughs) crossed her mind that she might be restoring an actual autographed Leonardo that he'd painted himself. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Okay. Mm -hmm. She showed it to her husband. He was 98 years old at this time and very Mm. unwell, just by the way. Um, But he agreed, yep, I think maybe this could be a Leonardo. And so Diane got Alex and Robert to come around to the studio so she could break the news to them in Mm. person. And, of course, they all got very, very excited to the point of being swept away. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. They may have found a lost Leonardo. And, I mean, that idea didn't just come from nowhere. There is a bit of a legend in the art world that, Leonardo had painted a picture of Jesus that Mm -hmm. had gone missing over the years. Mm. Yeah, the legend was that he'd been painting it around the same time that he was painting the Mona Lisa. Wasn't clear whether it had been completed or not, but it had vanished into someone's collection and there was this, you know, dream that maybe one day the lost Leonardo will turn up. And so they started to think this could be oh. it. And there is some circumstantial evidence that he may have actually painted. Like what? So a bunch of his students had done sketches yeah. that were labelled as being 
replicas of the master's oh, work. Oh, okay. And then even in the 1600s, there was a pretty famous artist who'd done an etching mm. of the Salvatore Mundi, which was labelled as being copied from Leonardo's mm-hmm. that the guy had witnessed himself. And it did look very, very, very similar to, to the painting that Diane was currently restoring. So they all say that that was the day they became believers, that this was a Leonardo da Vinci. And Diane kept working on the restoration. Now she was trying to make sure she stayed as true to Leonardo's signature style as she possibly could. She even ripped a page out of a book about the Mona Lisa and stuck it up next to the Salvatore Mundi to make sure she was staying as close as possible to Leonardo's style. style. Yes. Um, according to her critics, she wasn't keeping proper documentation of this process, which yeah. would normally happen yeah. in a major institution. And each day the painting started to look more and more like a Leonardo original. Because she was painting it that way. That's right. Yeah. And there was no one beside <laughs> her to point out to her. She'd started taking some artistic liberties and she'd started making her own creative mm. choices. She was operating alone and so she could and no one was there to sort of pull her up on it. And in the meantime, Alex and Robert were trying to piece together a provenance for the painting and explain where it had been for the last 500 years and how it ended up in the suburbs of Louisiana, of all places, which they were just basing on speculation, looking at different catalogues. So provenance, I know Mm -hmm. this from the art documentary thing that you got me to watch, is where like they, it's basically the history of the artwork. From when it leaves the artist's studio. And then it got sold to this person and that person sold it to that person and that person sold it to that person. Mm -hmm. And that's how they keep track of whether it's a real painting. It has its provenance. That's right. History. And this one was sort of patched together and they claimed that it had been the collection of the Spanish king and then three British kings. They're just making that up. Uh Uh-huh. Just because. How are they, where are they getting that from? They've got lists of their inventories of the art that they had, but would literally just say things like picture of Jesus. And they're like, "That's it. this is it. This is what it's referring oh to. Oh, my God. Okay. Mm-hmm. Anyway, what they were doing was pretty much happening in secret until 2008 when they thought, okay, now the painting's ready to show to someone, get an mm. outside opinion. And so they invited a curator from the National Gallery in London to come over to New York and mm. take a look at their little picky. And they chose this guy because they knew he was in the process of putting together a blockbuster Leonardo da Vinci exhibition and he was trying to borrow every known Leonardo work from museums all around the world. This curator's name was Luke Sison and Mm. you can imagine the tizzy he was in at the thought that he might be able to exhibit this never-before-seen Leonardo da Vinci in his exhibition. This was going to be career-making for him. So he came along to see the painting and, of course, he agreed that he thought it was Leonardo. He very much wanted to put it in his exhibition and Mm. he was desperate for it to be real. But before he just made the call to put it in his exhibition, he thought he should do some due diligence and get some other experts to look at the painting. Because so far everyone involved wants it to be real. They've all got a stake in it. They will all benefit (laughs) if it's real. Exactly. So he took the Salvador Mundi back to London and he invited five different Leonardists, experts from Europe and America, to come and have a look at it. They assembled there like the Avengers and they were some of the first people in the world to view this freshly restored painting. Yeah. No minutes were taken at this meeting. Nothing was recorded. The experts say they were not asked outright to comment on whether or not they thought the painting was a Leonardo. According to everyone who was there in the room, they just had sort of a polite chat 
about it yeah. and how interesting it was. If they had been asked to give their professional opinion, one of the experts would have said he thought it definitely was a Leonardo uh-huh. and he's stood by those comments since. Another three would have said that they were on the fence and one of them would have said absolutely not. That is not a Leonardo okay. da Vinci. So when you say she didn't take notes of what she was doing, are there photos of what it looked like before a she few. went, la, 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 mm-hmm. I will make this look like Leonardo? Yeah, but it wasn't documented in the way that it would okay. be if yeah. there was like an official process mm. going on. Yeah. So it's just a photo of it looking a bit old and shit and then a photo of it looking fresh and nice. Yes. She okay. actually has put all of her um, documents on a website yeah. called Salvatore Mundi Revisited. Mm. And so you can see a photo of when the guys first got the picture from Louisiana and then when she stripped it back and then progress yeah. as she was painting it and making it look more and more yeah. like a Leonardo right. as she went. Yeah. So the five experts, it's not definitive. Oh, yeah. They Mostly weren't on the fence. asked to pass yeah. comment. Yeah. Okay. Um, they all went home after their little chat. And Luke, the curator, sent the Salvatore back to New York City. Diane kept working on it over the next couple of years while Alex and Robert were trying to find a buyer. Yeah. Then in 2011, Luke, the curator, mm. announced that his Leonardo exhibition in London would be including the never-before-seen Salvatore Mundi and presenting it as this new, discovered, mm. autographed Leonardo masterpiece, not as maybe attributed to, not from his workshop, this is... A Leonardo. It da was Vinci. a wild announcement yeah. for the art world. It was there was a lot of buzz. People around the world went into a frenzy trying to get tickets to go and see this, this masterpiece. I mean, this is basically the equivalent of saying we have found a new play written by Shakespeare. Yes, that's exactly. what it is. Mm-hmm. Like that is crazy. People started losing yeah. their minds trying to get tickets while art scholars around the world were losing their shit because Mm. this was a really controversial move Mm -hmm. on Luke's part for Mm. a few reasons as a representative of the National Gallery, which is a public institution. So firstly, he said in his press conference that all five Leonardo experts, those Avengers, had unanimously stated they believed the painting was a Leonardo. That was a blatant lie which really pissed four of the five people off. Also, the National Gallery is not meant to be showing artworks that are on the market ever, and this painting had only just been taken off the market so that it could be in the exhibition. Yes, and clearly it was going to be put back on sale immediately after. Also, the National Gallery is meant to have a policy of never appraising privately owned works. And lastly, they were really annoyed because Luke kept telling the media in all the statements he was putting out that he thought the public should decide. We should just let everyone come see the painting and then make up their mind. And the experts were like, no, no, (laughs) this isn't a democratic process. We've studied for decades to become experts in this field. We'll make the decision, (laughs) thanks very much. But he wasn't getting into any trouble because his higher-ups were just thrilled that he was breaking sales records for this exhibition. They were really pleased with him. And then once the exhibition was over, Robert and Alex were able to then just quietly put the painting back on the market with this implied stamp of approval from the National Gallery that made up for the lack of provenance and the lack of evidence that it actually was a Leonardo. And they set the new price for the Salvatore Mundi at $200 million compared to other Leonardos and they shopped it around to every major museum in the world. A lot of museums were just like, no, thank you. The ones that wanted it, though, couldn't rustle up the $200 million. So then they started approaching 
billionaires. Yeah, I was going to say, this is the kind of thing where, like, a Saudi prince buys it. You know what I mean? Like, am I close? Oh, honey. (laughs) (laughs) Just you wait. (laughs) But you have foreshadowed, my friend. They're the only people who can afford ridiculous things like that. Mm Mm-hmm. So they were approaching these ridiculously wealthy mm. billionaires and, again, it was the same thing that a lot of them were like, mm, yeah, yeah, no, not for me, too controversial. Reluctantly, they started reducing the price mm. by small increments because they were hemorrhaging money, paying for the marketing of the painting yeah, and right. moving it around to show to people. Like they needed to sell it. They were starting to get desperate. And then in 2013, their prayers were answered by an evil Russian billionaire. <laughs> Named I was so close. Dmitry Rybolovlev. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. People call him Mr. R, but I just think that's too Ugh, friendly. No. I'm just going to call him Dmitry. Yeah. He had aspirations to own the world's greatest art collection, mm. not because he wanted to share it with the world or even to have it in his home and enjoy. He just wanted to keep it in storage so that he could brag that he owned these artworks yeah. and it was also a way of keeping his money somewhere where the tax department couldn't uh, yeah. get at it. He also seemed to be going through a bit of a midlife crisis at this stage because he went on an epic shopping spree. He bought New York City's most expensive apartment in Manhattan and he bought the world's most expensive apartment in Monaco. He bought a football club. He bought one of those giant Airbus airplanes. Like he was just splashing cash around everywhere. He's so filthy rich. Yeah. And now he decided that he wanted a Leonardo da Vinci. So he got in touch with his billionaire pal, this Swiss guy called Yves Bouvier. And Yves is, again, a pretty dodgy dude. Yeah. And he's got a whole lot of shady businesses. He also looks exactly like a younger Mr. Burns if, it was, <laughs> if he was turned into a real human. You need to watch the documentaries okay. that he appears in where in one of them he rides a unicycle. He's a weird cat. Oh, but he looks so much like Mr. Burns. It's insane. Yeah. Anyway, one of his side hustles was operating as an art dealer uh-huh. and he'd been acting as Dimitri's buying agent for dozens of major artworks over the years. And the key word there is acting because he was running a bit of a scam. Right. But he'd helped Dimitri acquire billions of dollars worth of art in the course of about a decade. So Dimitri called Eve and told him he wanted the Salvatore Mundi. Eve was really candid with his feedback about that idea. He told Dimitri he thought it was a really bad investment. It was way mm. overpriced. He'd never be able to make a profit. And the painting was just too controversial. Yeah. Whoever bought it was going to be laughed at by at least half of yeah. the art community, but Dimitri's that kind of super arrogant wannabe alpha male type who's always convinced that he knows better than everybody else. Mm. So he told Eve, just shut up and get me that painting. So Dunning Kruger effect. Mm-hmm. But it's I think probably a big part of it ego wise is that when else do you have a chance to buy a Leonardo exactly. da Vinci? You can't. Mm-hmm. So you might as well. This would be a great thing to be yeah. bragging about. Yeah. yeah. So Eve went, all right then, and set up a meeting and he negotiated the purchase of the Salvatore Mundi for $83 million for himself. Now, that's not quite the $200 million that Robert and Alex wanted, but a very tidy profit on their $1,175 investment. Then Eve transferred them the full amount and he was now the owner of the painting Mm -hmm. and then he commenced the process that he always went through with the paintings that he was helping Dimitri Mm. buy. He didn't reveal that he'd bought the painting. Instead, he told Dimitri's accountant over email that he was still negotiating with Mm. Robert and Alex 
but that they were playing hardball. He said they were demanding $150 million, but they might be willing to go down to $135 million if they got the cash immediately. Oh. Dimitri's accountant was like, oh, try to get it closer to $120 million if you can, and Eve was like, oof, I'll do my best, but they're really, really tough, these guys. And they kept going back and forth for about an hour or so, Eve pretending that he was negotiating against Robert and Alex mm-hmm. and acting like there was this real sense of urgency because there were other interested bidders and Dimitri might miss out. And in the end, he emailed Dimitri's accountant and told them that they mm. had settled on $127.5 million. And so does he then pocket that? He and pockets not tell them? the $44 million <gasps> profit that he'd made in less than 24 hours. Hey, man, that's smart. Uh-huh. And on top of that, he got a $2.5 million commission as the agent on the deal. And it's a Russian oligarch. Like, I wouldn't feel bad. Mm-mm. <laughs> I'd be like, dummy, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He'd done this again and again and again, and Dimitri had no idea he was being <laughs> scammed. Sucker. He was just delighted because now he owned this incredible trophy, which surprisingly he didn't announce to the world. He just mm. quietly had it put in storage with the rest of his collection. And then a few months went by before some reporters got curious about whether or not Robert and Alex had been able to sell the Salvatore Mundi. And they looked online and they could see it was no longer on the market. So they started doing some digging And the New York Times ended up being the first one to break the story that the Salvatore had sold for around $80 million. Yeah. Dimitri was shown that story in the New York Times Uh and put two and two together, realised he'd been played by Eve and figured it probably wasn't the first time Eve had run this scam on him. So he was absolutely livid (laughs) in the way that only an evil Russian billionaire can be. Mm -hmm. He did give Eve one chance to make things right. He told him that... If he was able to sell all 37 artworks that he'd acquired for Dimitri at exactly the price that Dimitri had paid within one month, then he wouldn't go nuclear on him. But Eve was like, well, that's just going to be impossible. So he just took the point of view in the media and everywhere saying, it's just business, baby. Yeah, it is, though. This is is economics. You buy low, you sell high. What I did wasn't... Illegal, maybe a little unethical. Maybe a little unethical, but he's a Russian billionaire, so who's he to talk about ethics? Mm -hmm. So Dimitri tried to get his revenge, revealed everything to the public, called it the biggest art fraud in history, which in a way it was because Eve had scammed Dimitri out of over a billion dollars over the years. Uh Uh-huh. Um, so, yes, Eve's reputation was destroyed. He was banished from the art world effectively, but he still had billions of dollars to cry into. Yeah. And despite a lot of legal investigation and court cases, he wasn't found guilty of any criminal activity. That was very disappointing for Dimitri, mm-hmm. but at least he could still sue Eve as long as he could prove that he'd suffered some level of financial loss, which he figured would be pretty easy to do. Mm-hmm starting with putting the Salvatore Mundi on the market, expecting that it would sell for way less than the $127 million he'd paid for it, Mm. and then he'd be able to sue Eve for compensation and he'd do that for all the other paintings as well. So Dimitri went to Christie's auction house Mm -hmm. and asked them to sell the Da Vinci and they jumped at the opportunity. Mm. They knew this could be history-making for them. They brought on board an external marketing company and told them just pull out all the stops, get the message out there. This is a certified, genuine Leonardo. Squash any suggestions that there Mm. might be any controversy about the attribution. Some lady called Diane did this in her garage. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And a lot of people in the art world just kept pointing that out. They're like, this is not a Da Vinci. This is a Modestini. Or at the very best, it's a collaboration. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, But Christie's were going with the message, this is the last chance humanity will ever have to purchase a Leonardo Mm. Da Vinci and not just any Leonardo. They were calling it the male Mona Lisa. Mm-hmm. And they sent the painting on a tour all around the world to drum up heaps of press and they came up with this really clever strategy of making a viral marketing video that just shows people's faces as they're looking at the painting and having an overwhelming emotional right. response. Yeah. One of the people in that video was Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, really? Yeah, which is part of why that video became oh. such a big deal on social media. And then when it came time to schedule the auction, they decided it would be really smart if they auctioned off the Salvatore Mundi as part of a contemporary art auction rather than old masters. Mm -hmm. Contemporary art auctions is where you get the hedge fund tech bro types who just want to swing their dick around and splash a lot of cash. Yeah. So unorthodox, but it ended up paying off for them. And the big joke in the art world was that it did make perfect sense to put the painting in a contemporary art auction because 90% of the Mm. painting, the paint that they were looking at, had been applied in the last few years by (laughs) Diane. By Diane. Uh But also it's the kind of like those auctions that like people like Elon Musk go to and Russian billionaires go to, they don't know anything about art. They Mm -hmm. just buy what they think is the highest value thing, which is how you have Damien Hirst selling colourful dots and sharks in resin. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like it's and so if the if you've got a whole bunch of Dunning Kruger effect, ego filled dudes in a room at an auction, they're all gonna want to buy the most expensive thing at that auction just because mm-hmm. it's the most expensive. Shows they've thing. got the biggest dick. Exactly. Uh-huh. Yep. Christie's are smart. Oh, yes, they were. Um, so the auction started off at $70 million and then it jumped up to $200 million fairly quickly and the audience was gasping and clapping at yeah. each time a new record was set. By the time it got to over $300 million, there were only two anonymous bidders left. Oh. Both of them were bidding over the phone. Bidder A was bidding in quite small increments of around $2 million. Mm-hmm. Small. Yeah. Um, <laughs> compared to Bidder B, he was really swinging his dick by, like, raising the bid by $10, $15 yeah. million at a time. Yeah. And the auction went for almost 20 minutes, which is unusually mm. long. The auctioneer was giving excessive amounts of time for the bidders to mm-hmm. make up their mind because what Christie's knew but hadn't revealed to anyone at the time was that one of the mystery bidders, bidder B, the dig, dick swinger, he'd already placed a $100 million deposit, which represented 10% of what he was willing to spend on the painting. Oh. Whoever this mystery bidder was, he'd indicated he was willing and able to go to a billion. Go, to dollars. Go to a billion. Yeah. So the auctioneer was dragging things out more than he normally would because yeah. he wanted to get as close to a billy as possible. Isn't that where, like, I know this is probably against the rules, but someone on Christie get, from Christie's gets on the line and, like, keeps pushing it up mm. a bit. Do you know what I mean? Pretends mm. to be another bidder. And maybe that's who Bitter A was because we have no idea who Bitter A was. Oh, it was totally someone from Christie. <laughs> that's You're what I would right. do. probably right, yeah. Okay. Um, so Bitter A went up to $370 million. The audience gasped. They applauded. No one seemed to be thinking about the fact that this exorbitant amount of money was going to an evil Russian billionaire Trump supporter piece of shit mm. like Dimitri. Then, and also that the painting's probably not real. Yeah. 
by the way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, my God. And then Bitter B, one last big swing of his dick, yeah. ended the auction with the winning bid of $400 million, just a $30 million <sighs> jump there. And when you add in the $50 million commission for Christie's, Bitter B was dropping nearly half a billion dollars on a possible Leonardo oh da Vinci. Oh, And this immediately became the biggest news story in the world and everyone was asking the same question. Well, who? Who the heck bought that? Elon. Who has that kind of money? He was one of the theories because oh. there were all sorts of theories swirling around. Christie's wasn't willing to reveal anything yeah. about the buyer's identity. People like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos issued press releases saying, guys, it wasn't me. me. Wow. Yeah, because all these theories were swirling. The answer came from the FBI (gasps) because they were investigating the sale because they were really suspicious there might be some money laundering going on, maybe even terrorist funding. And after a few weeks, they leaked to the New York Times that the buyer was the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. Ding, 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 ding. She got it. Yes. Mohammed bin Salman, who's he's commonly known as MBS in the Western media, which also feels a bit chummy, but I'll go with it on this one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was really shocking that he had bought this painting, not least for the fact that technically as a Muslim, he should consider the Salvatore Mundi to be blasphemous. Oh, because it's Jesus. Yeah, and Jesus is considered to be a prophet in Islam, not the son of God, Mm. but representing a prophet in any artwork is sacrilegious in Islam. So everyone was asking why, why would he buy this? And Mm. the best guess was that it was part of his plan that he'd announced to shift the Saudi economy away from relying on oil, which was going to run out one day, and into tourism. And he's been really clear about how he wants to turn Saudi Arabia into a cultural destination and he's planning to open up all these museums and galleries to attract international tourists. And this artwork would certainly do that. Did you see how Georgia Love got in trouble for going there a couple weeks, about a month ago? Georgia Love was a bachelorette Mm. a few years ago and she's with her bachelor who she picked, Lee, Mm -hmm. they're married. And um, they got in so much shit on social media because they posted um, they were on like a tourism paid trip to Saudi Arabia and it was like, you know, exploring Saudi Arabia and hashtag tourism Saudi and stuff. Um, And people were like, they literally like, executed 80 convicts, like, prisoners mm. last week and most of them would have been in prison just for being gay yeah. or being whatever. Like, uh-huh. And um, they sort of came out and said, look, Saudi Arabia is trying to trying to modernise, it's trying to get better, It, you know, like, we should try and support them in that. Like, our whole tour group was run by women and all this stuff, but people were just like, no... Yeah, <laughs> they're not going to overlook the human rights abuses. Yeah, not, 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 yeah, not not until they stop. Like, mm. yeah, maybe, like, they start moving forward as a nation when that stops. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so they ended up, like, getting so much shit that they took all the pictures down. Yeah, good. Yeah. And give the money back. You've accepted blood money. Well, I don't know if they got paid. I'm sure the, tr- the trip was would have been paid, mm. but I don't know if you get paid on top of it. Anyway, but, um, yeah, it's just interesting that you mentioned, because yeah. I had no idea that they were doing an active push, so I guess they are inviting influencers and... Yeah, they really want to start becoming a global destination. Especially. And most people said no except George <laughs> <laughs> Why would you say yes to that? That's, anyway. Yeah, really poor judgment. Mm, not great judgment. Um, so, yeah, it did sort of make sense that, okay, maybe they'd want to put a major masterpiece by Leonardo on display to attract well, people. Well, the Mona Lisa is in itself 
an attraction. Like That's people right. go to there to go to it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Um, then it was announced that the Salvatore was going to go on display at the Louvre in Abu Dhabi. Mm-hmm. And that sort of made sense because Abu Dhabi is a very close ally mm. of Saudi Arabia. But then just before the exhibition was due to open, it was suddenly cancelled and no explanation was mm. given. And that was all very baffling. And again, the best guess for what was going on was that MBS was embarrassed and worried about the controversy about the painting and he didn't want to display it anywhere until he felt like all doubts about authenticity had been put to rest. Well, why didn't he? Shouldn't he have thought of that before he bought it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think he really did his research. And uh, after the purchase, that's when a lot more experts started coming out. What an idiot. You spent saying, half a billion dollars on yeah, a that, painting Diane did. Yep. Yeah. And like giving a lot of really valid reasons for why the painting could not be an yeah. autograph Leonardo. And so, yeah, that controversy just sort of kept swirling and swirling and there were all these people calling for proper independent analysis to be done because Mm. the only analysis available is the one that I mentioned, Mm. Diane's own website. Mm. Then in 2018, the Louvre and the French government got involved. MBS was invited to Paris to meet with um, Emmanuel Macron, Mm -hmm. the president of France, to discuss a few things like the Saudis agreeing to buy billions of dollars worth of weapons from oh, France. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep, good. And also like the Louvre borrowing the Salvatore Mundi for the upcoming exhibition that was going to mark the 500th anniversary of da Vinci's death, mm-hmm. which would also involve the Louvre doing a definitive analysis on the painting and publishing their findings. Flash forward to the opening of the Leonardo exhibition in October 2019. Mm. This was going to be the first time the Salvatore Mundi had been displayed since the auction two years ago. Mm. Arty types were very, very, very excited to come and see it and then they were gutted that at the last moment, just before the exhibition opened, the decision had been made not to include the Salvatore Mundi in the show. This is at the Louvre. At the Louvre in, in Paris. In Paris, yeah. Mm-hmm. And no explanation was given. Because they did they realise it was... Not real. Well, this is where it gets murky. There are a few different versions of events of what happened behind the scenes here. Yeah. Um, The Louvre won't make any statements. MBS is also staying totally tight-lipped about what happened, so we don't have an official source of truth. But one version that's pretty widely believed was that MBS had been clear from the beginning he wanted the Salvatore to be hung next to or opposite the Mona Lisa as a symbolic way of putting it on par with the most famous, most visited Mm -hmm. artwork in the world, and there was no way the French were going to go along with that. In mm. that in their eyes, that would devalue the Mona Lisa and yeah. that's the jewel in the Louvre's crown, of course. So they'd reached this stalemate. MBS spat the dummy, took his painting and went home because yeah. he didn't get his way. Mm-hmm. In another version, though, the story is that the Louvre's analysis of the painting revealed that it was not by Leonardo da Vinci but by one of his students. Mm. Maybe Leonardo had contributed some small passages to it. And that version of events was leaked by two anonymous employees of the Louvre who say they were involved in the appraisal. They can't reveal their identities without losing their jobs and they would probably also be sued and they would be fined because they would be breaking the law as representatives of the Louvre. Oh, yeah, that's like, didn't we do an episode, was it you who did the episode where if you say something bad about someone's painting, you get sued for possibly devaluing? Yes. Mm -hmm. How ridiculous. Yeah. So they've appeared on camera, but one of them blacked out in shadow and one of them wearing a full face (laughs) mask. (laughs) Also ridiculous. Yeah. 
Wow. Um, because MBS pulled his painting out of the exhibition at the last second, the Louvre never showed it. Therefore, legally, they can't reveal any of their findings of the analysis. Oh. So they can't confirm or deny whether what these people are saying is accurate. Diane Modestini says that absolutely can't be the case because in 2019 she saw a book all about the analysis of the Salvatore Mundi that the Louvre had prepared and they'd had it printed and it was going to be sold in the gift shop at the exhibition. Well, yeah, because if they were about to put it in the exhibition, Mm -hmm. then it stands to reason that they had decided it was worth being in the exhibition. That's right. And the only reason it wasn't is because he threw a tanty. Mm -hmm. And then all those books had to be pulped. Right, yeah. Yes, because they hadn't exhibited the painting, so they couldn't pass any judgment. But a couple of those books leaked out somehow. Yeah. Diane claimed that she had seen one, but no one was coming forward and saying that they had one until in 2020 (gasps) a copy leaked to the press and it did indeed validate that the Salvatore was an autograph Leonardo. It had all the connoisseurship findings and also all the forensic findings Mm. that the Louvre had relied on to make the decision that, yes, this has to be a Leonardo. So even the Louvre thought it had been real? Yes, but the Louvre denies that the book even existed. And also the Louvre stood to gain a lot from having an exhibition with that in it. Like it was a lot of... They were, again, people who were going to get a lot out of it Mm -hmm. only if it was real. They had a vested interest and also because they had that multi-billion dollar deal with the Saudis to Uh, buy those weapons. They needed it to They were doing each other favours. But then there's all these conspiracy theories because the Louvre won't stand by the book. Mm. And so the theories are that, okay, maybe the Louvre had made the book but they'd been bribed by the Saudis or that the book was just a forgery. Mm-hmm. And the Louvre just refuses to comment on it. Um, and so people are just making up their own version of reality that sits best with what they want to believe. And now here we are two and a half years later, no one has seen the painting yeah, since it left it? the Louvre. So it's believed that it's on MBS's mega yacht in the Red Sea. Yeah. There have been no plans announced for the painting's future. Um we can assume it's going to be a very big reveal if and mm. when he finally does decide to show it to the world. For now, it is still the most expensive painting in the world. However, there is speculation that next week another painting could sell for more. On the 9th of May, one of Andy Warhol's portraits of Marilyn Monroe mm. is going up for auction yeah, at yeah, Christie's. Yeah. They think it could go for anywhere between $500 million to a $1 billion. They are basing that on the fact that the Salvatore's reserve price was $100 and the Marilyn's reserve price is $200 (sighs) The good news is, though, this time the money from the sale of that Warhol, that's going to go to a charity that helps provide healthcare and education to poor kids around the world, as opposed to a Trump-supporting Russian Russian oligarch oligarch. piece of garbage like Dimitri. I mean, also, like you say, the Salvatore... Mundi is currently the most expensive painting in the world. It, it it's sold for the most money in the mm-hmm. world. I'm not sure if its true value is oh, no. the most expensive painting in the world. Do you no, know no, what I mean? No. I don't think he'll ever sell that to anyone for like not nothing close to what he paid mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. It seems so obvious to me that it's not. Mm. But this is the really fascinating thing, and I will post 
links to some interviews with art experts because yeah. you've got some people who so passionately defend the Salvatore that mm. actually don't even have any skin in the game. Mm. But you can tell they just really want they want it, it to, to be, be real. real because yeah. then, you know, it's like magic exists yeah. in the world. And then, oh, there are some fantastic interviews with some of the sceptics. Yeah. And, you know, the evidence that they can point to that this cannot be by Leonardo and they are totally scathing. And I tend to side with them. If it is, because you know how I was saying before, even like any painting from 1530 or whatever would be worth something. If it is from one of his students, Mm. like they think maybe, what would that be worth? A painting by one of Leonardo da Vinci's students that they did while they were working with him. Somewhere between 1% and 10% of the value. So what is that? Uh, Do maths, please. 4.5 4.5 million. So that's still a lot. Up to 45 million. <laughs> that's still a lot. Oh, and yeah, if it but genu- depending on the quality. But it genuinely, they they think it is likely is a student of his yes. or something. So then that's still a, a very valuable thing to have, mm-hmm. just not that, like not 500 million. Mm-hmm. But it's not really about the money. It's that they want it to be a Da Vinci. It's the status symbol and it's the, you know, drawing power that that could potentially have if and when it ends up in a museum somewhere in Saudi Arabia. Yeah. Part of the reason why the debate rages so much is because in any form of academia, Mm. you get ahead by disproving what someone else Mm. is trying to say. So, I mean... All these art critics, historians, everything, they're disagreeing with each other so passionately Mm. as a way of sort of furthering their own careers. Mm. Like that's the whole point of their job. Um, And then the other side and then the sales side of it, you've got them and then you've got the people who want it to be valued at that amount because it's worth it to them for it to be valued at that amount. So because they all agree that that's how much it's worth, that becomes what it's worth. Mm Mm-hmm. It's all just play pretend. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's all just people saying things will be so they will be. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, places like Christie's, they want these prices to keep inflating, inflating, inflating. Yeah. It's like the rising tide effect where, like, there's this halo of value that passes on to all other artworks as the most expensive artworks continue to become more and more expensive. Mm. Um, yeah, and so but much then, of it's a scam. You know what happened with the Beanie Babies? It all comes crashing down. I have not watched that documentary because Don't, you promised I'm gonna an do episode. A, I'm going to do just the gist on it. But it's just, it's a really interesting look at how something, when a market overvalues something just because everybody decides it's worth a thing mm. and then what happens when suddenly people, like the emperor's clothes, realises the clothes aren't on and everyone realises it's not worth that and it all mm. crashes to the ground. Yeah. yeah. So how's this, like, how's do you think cards? one day someone will look at a stupid Damien Hurst on their wall and go, that's worth 20 bucks? <laughs> Why did I pay 500, uh, you know, thousand million for that? Oh, after the apocalypse? What's like, the apocalypse? Oh, as in like end of days. Oh, right. I thought, yeah. I thought it was like an art thing. I was like, what? Like as soon as. Oh, what's it worth? Nothing. You exactly. wipe your ass with it. It's in no way helpful or necessary. To anyone for survival. I mean, no. I mean, it, there's nothing wrong with buying nice things, but and having nice things that I guess you can't use in the apocalypse. But I mean, I buy a lot on ASOS, 
But I mean, you know, I just think when paintings get like that and it gets into this culture of I will just make it and sell it for whatever people will pay for it because I know they're going to pay $80 million mm-hmm. for me putting a red dot on this white canvas. Like, mm-hmm. We've reached a tipping point as a culture. Haven't, haven't we, though? Mm-hmm. So it'll be interesting to see if the investment ever actually pays off in any capacity. Right now it's just on a boat in the middle of the Red Sea, we think. Maybe Georgia Love saw it. (laughs) (laughs) I'd forgive her for going on the trip if she actually got to go and see the painting. Maybe. Anyway, dear listeners, that was just the gist of the Salvatore Mundi, the lost Leonardo, the last Leonardo. Um, Yeah, it's a pretty wild ride. And if you want to know more, there is a very, very comprehensive book that I read Mm. called The Last Leonardo. Mm. Um, It was dry in parts, but it is all around pretty fascinating. Mm. There's also a really good documentary. Two docos came out in 2021, actually one made by Americans called The Lost Leonardo. Mm -hmm. That's on Apple TV. Um, And there's also one called Saviour for Sale that the French made. That's the one that the Louvre employees appear in talking to camera but with their identities concealed. Both of those documentaries and the book really are pushing the narrative that they don't think that there is enough evidence that this is a Leonardo da Vinci. And even if there was, that price is just absolutely outrageous. You know... We'll never know, will we? There's no way to ever know. No one's ever going to agree. Mm-hmm. There's no way to ever know. That's right, yeah. I mean, if the Louvre were able to actually stand by the findings that were in that, that book, book um, and then maybe reveal what they didn't put in the book, because yeah. I'm sure certain stuff was withheld because they were trying to make it as flattering as possible. Yeah, because that's so odd to me. Like, if... He knows that the Louvre will release those findings if they can show it. Then why doesn't he just let them show it and then mm. they can release their findings? Well, that's because maybe he knows the findings he paid for them. That's one of the thoughts. Yeah, yeah, that it could then end up being revealed that he'd bribed them. Yeah, um, potentially linked to this arms deal. Um, yeah, and then I mean, you can just imagine how crushing it would be for him if it were to be revealed that the painting was. Not by Leonardo. Oh, that would hurt his little ego. Oh, Maybe he'd it? go crazy and buy Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> oh, could I tell you? I totally get why you hate him now. I hate him. I hate oh, him. Oh, he's such a turd monster. People always ask, and I'm like, I can't, I can't distill it to to you in one sentence for you. But I just hate Elon Musk so much. I hate him. I just had no idea that there was such a cult Mm, built around him and everything he says. Yeah. It's a real bro cult around him. Yeah. Yeah. They idolise him. He's so gross. Mm. Anyway. (laughs) That was good. That was so interesting. Thank you. Yeah. And, oh, like I said, I'll also post some of these um, really great interviews, including one art critic, Jerry Saltz, just going off for Vice Media about how much he hates the Salvatore Mundi and thinks that it's, like, just a dreadful painting. (laughs) Blast, Diane. Anywho, that was the story for this week. That was really good. Um, And then I guess Perth will see you in a few days. Yeah, if you're listening to this on Friday, Perth will see see you tomorrow. tomorrow. Yay! Yay. We'll see the rest of you a little bit later. And Gosford, Sydney, uh, Gold Coast, 
Sunshine Coast. Yes, and then Secret Melbourne Sale coming soon. Secret Melbourne show that we haven't mentioned or told you about. Okay, bye. Bye. Listener.